Well, this mic has fallen apart, so all that prayer that I just prayed, only Jesus heard it, so we'll see. But now it's like old school, you know? You know, just uh, the mic's falling apart. So, uh, hey, we adjust here on the fly. And uh, trusting that the Lord has a purpose of what he's doing. I'm good, Kevin. Don't worry about it, man. So this week, I, uh, I read this quote by Thomas Edison, and it really caused me to stop and to think for a moment about whether or not I believe that it's true. So I want to read it for you and ask you the same question. He says, restlessness is discontent, and discontent is the first necessity of progress. Show me a thoroughly satisfied man, and I will show you a failure. You know, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, there's a part of that that is kind of true, because when you think about uh, progress, or when you think about creative change, or even when you think about innovation, or even personal change in your own life, it often is fueled by discontent, that we we become discontent about the current state of things, and so then we go on to do something to to kind of deal with that discontent. Like I was listening to an interview the other day of Elon Musk and he was talking about colonizing Mars and I'm convinced he's an alien and he's just trying to get home. Do y'all know that? You don't know that? It's here, okay, I just said it. But he's, he, he talks about his dissatisfaction with the way things are and he's creating a new future, but we do that all the time. I mean, I, this, this Snowopolis or whatever we call that that happened last week, I went online and I was watching like these pier cams from South Florida. Have you seen that? Where the where it's 80 degrees down there and the waves are coming in. And I was trying to manage how could I get out of here fast and join Ted Cruz down in Cancun. And because I was discontent and I wanted to change. I was motivated to change my situation. But we do that when it comes to like our weight, our our health. We get discontent with our health and we vow, you know, we're gonna do whole 30 which you should never do Whole30. They should change that to 30 days of pain. Just pure pain, it's horrible. Why would you do that to yourself? But we get discontent with work, and so what do we do? We, we look for a new job, or we get discontent with our marriage, and we don't look for a new marriage, hopefully, but what we do do is we stay in the marriage, and then we just blame our partner for all our pain, which blame is, I want to just tell you that if you want to have peace in your marriage, just blame your partner for everything. It won't make your marriage better. It'll just make you not have to deal with any of your own heart issues because it's always their fault. So we always tend to use discontentment to actually motivate some kind of change in our lives. But what if, like church, what if when Jesus came, he changed the paradigm for us, that we're a part of a kingdom that is different than the kingdom that we live in. In fact, when we think about that Christ came and he, he died on the cross so that not only could my sins be forgiven, um, but they're removed from me in the sense that I'm no longer accountable to the King of Kings for anything that I've done wrong. I'm completely forgiven of all my past, my present, and my future sins. But then when Christ rose again, Scripture says that I rose with him to newness of life. And what if this newness of life that we're rising to is now we're growing out of not our sins, but we're growing out of the consequences of our sins. 
that we're still having to mature out of the sins of our parents and the sins of our own hands that have wounded us. And so this new life in Christ is a healing life. It's a redemptive life. It's making new that which was broken. And what if in this new kingdom that discontentment isn't our motivation, but actually what our motivation is, is joy? When I say joy, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about, you know, be happy. I'm talking about the kind of joy that we've been talking about uh, for the last three weeks in this series on 1 Thessalonians. I'm talking about a supernatural Holy Spirit joy. I'm talking about this Trinitarian joy that's given to us from Jesus, this joy that's given to us as a fruit of the Holy Spirit that is ours. It's not something we get if we're Christians. It's something we have. And this joy is a deep contentment. It's a deep restfulness. It's a deep rest. It's actually a deep satisfaction. Now, if you go, I don't have that, and I'm a Christian, go back three sermons and and study why we tend to lose the very thing that we have or we tend to lose the awareness of it. Because you have an enemy. Your enemy can't take away from you the gifts of God, but the enemy can deceive you in believing that you don't have the gifts of God. He can deceive you to where you never use them. But what if joy, that joy, that joy of the Holy Spirit actually is the catalyst for change in our lives? So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to just talk about three things. Is that when joy marries fear, it moves us to action, it moves us to thankfulness, and it moves us to prayer. Now what I mean is that when joy comes in and takes the hand of fear, when joy comes in, you could even say when joy comes in and kisses fear or puts its arm around fear and partners with fear. And this may sound odd to you that fear and joy can actually walk hand in hand. But when those two come together, it moves us to action, it moves us to thankfulness, and it moves us to prayer. You ready? I don't know if you're ready or not. You know, all those people out in YouTube land, are you ready? I got the mic. I need like a hanky or something, you know? Ha! <sighs> Anyway, so good. I know we got to lighten up here. We got to keep moving. All right. It's not like, okay, so go to first Corinthians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, you need to get one. You can get one. If you're leaving the building, go grab one of the ones that we have here and take it and write your name in it. It's yours. Now you should have a Bible because everything we do here at Midtown is draw truth from scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. It changes our lives. So first Thessalonians chapter three, if you don't have a pen and paper, then you need to get one or take notes on your phone because we're talking about the power for you to see change in your life this morning. And that may be important to you. And if it's not important to you, it may be important to somebody you know. Maybe there's a lot of people in your life you want to change. Like that may be your call in life. Does it change everybody in your life? Here we go. <laughs> somebody at home is going, yes, finally, he's talking about my call. I am going to change my wife if it kills me. It'll kill you. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 3. So, when we could stand it no longer, stop. Listen to what the Apostle Paul just said. He's with Silas. He's with Timothy, possibly Luke. They're all hanging out, and they're writing this, and he's saying, hey, guys, we can't take it any longer. Just stop and just drink that up for a minute. Paul is saying whatever situation they're in right now is so bad, it's so intolerable, it's so difficult, 
it's so painful that he's actually putting down words that go into scripture to say we can't take it any longer so for us to go forward today with this lesson which we we got to run because i only have like 20 minutes now um, is what in your life can you not stand anymore when what in your life are you going i just don't know if i can take this anymore Okay, put that at the top of your page because here we go. So when, he could stand, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Suffering's normal. Don't be surprised by it. He goes on to say, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. We told you it's coming, and it turns out that way, so you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So Paul is saying we couldn't take it any longer. What could they take any longer? When they were in Thessalonica, if you go to Acts chapter 17, if you want to read that later, it's the story of them landing there and preaching the gospel, and a lot of people came to know uh, Christ, and a church was born, a church very much like this. It's a very diverse church, people that made a lot of money, people that didn't make any money, people that were Greeks and people that were Jews. It was a diverse church, and then persecution broke out, and Paul and Timothy and Silas had to run for their lives, but what they left in their rearview mirror was the church in Thessalonica, and here's Paul writing to them saying, you know, a year later, we don't know what's happened to you. Are you guys still alive? Are you still meeting? Like, do you still love Jesus? Do you know that Jesus still loves you? Are you praying together? Do you love each other? Like, what's happening in the church? Is it sustaining or is it crumbled to the ground? Is all the work we did when we were with you, even though we got persecuted for it, was all that work in vain? Has the enemy come in and convinced you that you're not who you really are? And then we see later that Paul joined a midtown small group because he changes the we couldn't stay it any longer to an I statement. And we use I statements in our small groups because we all love to hide behind we and they and, you know, all that instead of just saying me, I. And Paul says, I could stand it no longer. And then in verse 5, look what he does. Paul said, I was afraid. Paul was in this place in his own life and heart where he couldn't take it anymore and he was struggling with fear, profound fear. And I want you to hear that. Because I want you to hear that Paul, this, this spiritual giant who wrote half the New Testament, is confessing to you and me that he struggled with fear. And the reason I want you to hear that is because if we had time to talk about it, go back to the January series where we talked about fear. But guys, fear is a part of being a human. It's normal. When you feel fear, it doesn't mean that you're not a good Christian anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not trusting in Jesus, you know, that fear is a normal part of life. And I can relate. I mean, um, there are parts of this COVID-19 that I can't stand anymore because, you know, for a lot of our Midtowners, I've not seen them. I've not heard from them. And I... I'm afraid that many of our people, that their, their struggle spiritually has overtaken them, and that they're not growing spiritually anymore. 
that Jesus seems far away from them. And you know what happens when the church stops growing spiritually and being with Jesus and stops worshiping Jesus? The church starts to believe that it's something that it's not. And when we believe that we're not something, then we stop being what we are. So if you've ever seen like the Avengers movie where Tony Stark, you know, is it, who's the Hulk? Is it Dr. Bannon? Is that his name? Bruce Banner? Is that it? Okay, I'll get it right. And remember the scene, I don't even remember which movie it is. I'm butchering this. But he turns to Banner and he goes, uh, or is it Bannon? Banner. Okay, I can't understand you with the mask. You can't understand me either, so we're equal. All right. So he nudges him and he says, bring out the Hulk. And he's like, I can't get him to come out. You know, it's come on, man. What he's saying is, be who you are. We need you. And that's, that's what I'm saying to you is that when the church, I fear that Midtown has forgotten who it is. We're the Hulk in the city, the Hulk of God's grace, the Hulk of God's love. This city's different because we're here, but when we forget who we are, bring out the Hulk. So we all fear. Paul feared. But we don't all handle fear very well. Because a lot of times we start to think that the goal of fear is to stop fearing. And so we start to believe that if I could just get fear out of my life, then my life would be richer. And so we do a lot of things with fear that hurt us more than our fear. Like we start to manage our lives and we control everything. If I can control my life, I won't be afraid anymore. Or if I could fix everything in my life, then I won't be afraid anymore. Or some of you may believe that, you know, if you can make your life safe, some of you may have grown up with no money and you're convinced that the only way you're going to be safe and fearless is if you have a lot of money that gives you security. And what that does is it begins to change your mind about who you are, not the Hulk anymore. What's the Hulk? He's given me everything I need for life and godliness. And every, everything I have is a gift from him, and I'm just a steward. And what do I use that steward for? To advance the kingdom that I'm a part of here while I'm here. And if I'm just using my money for my own security, just to manage my fear, I've moved from being the Hulk to now just being, being. Or some of us, to manage our fear, we never take risk. Uh, when I lived in Fort Lauderdale, um, we were new down there, and a, a friend uh, that I'd made at the church said, hey, do you want to go out in my boat? And I said, yeah, go out in the boat. And he goes, great, and he gave me an address. He said, meet me there. And I pull up, and it's this massive warehouse. And I walk in, and it's like five stories of bays, and then all those bays are boats. And it's a boat storage company. And what they do is they take boats, and they wrap them in this plastic wrap, and basically put them in a Ziploc bag. Then they have this big crane that picks them up and elevates them and sticks them into one of the bays so that they're dry and safe from all the elements and they're secure. And I'm walking in, I'm just fat. I've never seen anything like that. Maybe you've never seen anything like that. Um, and I'm walking in and I'm talking to the guy that's about to go get my friend's boat and unwrap it from its Ziploc bag. And I said, man, this is just, it's a lot of trouble to go to just to keep your boat clean. And you guys must be busy all the time. And he laughed and he said, yeah, really not. I said, what do you mean? He goes, 90% of these boats will never see the water. You see, people buy boats and they stick them up there and they never get in them. I said, why? He said, most of the people that own these boats like the idea of owning a boat, but they're terrified to take it out in the water. See, 
when fear begins to control my life, I stop being who I am. And I just put my life in a Ziploc bag and store it up in the top of a shelf and never go out to the water which I was made for. Fear is the emotion. And here's the crazy thing. Fear is this beautiful emotion that God has given us to let us know that, that something we cherish is in danger. And it's the emotion that lets me know that I'm not sure I'm enough to protect it. It lets me know that something in my life is in danger, and I'm not sure I have the resources it takes to actually protect it. And the reason that that's beautiful because it does two things. One, it shows me what I really love and what I really value. And two, it reveals to me my limits. See, when joy comes and grabs the hand of that, that, that hey, what do you love? And joy grabs the hand of what are your limits? Um, it turns fear from this emotion that I fear, and it turns it into an emotion that actually allows me to live out that I'm the Hulk. And the way it does that is it allows me to cry out. Fear is an inviting emotion. I said this back in January, but think about if you've ever had kids, and they're young, and in the middle of the night they wake up, and the room is dark, and they think there's a monster in their closet. What do they do without hesitation? They immediately call for mommy because they know if they call for daddy, he won't come. <laughs> so they call for mommy. <laughs> Daddy's a sound sleeper. <laughs> Why? They're, they're cry their fear motivates them to cry out. Actually, as humans, we grow out of that. And what we grow into is we actually start to think that what, what maturity is is for me to become independent. When in fact, what actual fear is, fear is an inviting emotion. And it, the first thing that we see here is look what Paul did. His fear invited Timothy into the story. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage your faith. What's not written there? And also to get back here and tell us what's going on. Timothy, help. Fear moves me to ask for help of the people around me. Fear motivates me to build community of people because I'm not enough. Limitations allow me to have the courage to invite more people into the army of me so that I am enough to fight the challenges and face the challenges of the things that are threatening the things that I love. It's easy, right? <laughs> so I have a good friend who I meet with you know, we probably see each other every week, maybe every other week, when we can. And um, back before Christmas, we were together and we were talking and just sharing our lives with one another. And I said, okay, I got to say something to you. And um, I just, so I started, tried to control the whole situation. I said, okay, I'm not creepy. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I just, and he goes, just say it. And I said, okay, hey, I, I've got to say this out loud. I need you in my life. He just stopped, and he looked at me, and I said, I'm not done. I need you to want to be in my life. I need you in my life, and I need you to want to be in my life, and I'm asking for a response. And he started dancing. It was beautiful. <laughs> Music. 
You know why I make a joke of that? Because that is so vulnerable. I remember in third grade, I asked Darlene Grayson if she'd go trick-or-treating with me. I was more nervous with my friend back before Christmas than with Starlene. Because it's so vulnerable, because we're so independent, and we actually think that what it means to grow up is to be independent. Before we started Midtown, I ran a men's ministry, and at the beginning of that men's ministry, I was taking all these guys uh, to breakfast, brunch, lunch, and I was asking them all a series of questions just to go get to know men. Like, who are you guys? You're weird. Like, you know? And one of the questions I asked them is, tell me who your best friend is. I can tell you almost 99% of the men that I asked that question to couldn't answer it. Or if they did answer it, they talked about a college buddy they haven't seen in 15 years. Because especially us as men, we think that growing up means growing apart from any need that we have of another person. Whether it be our wife, whether it be our friends, whether it be our community. And yet in this new kingdom, this kingdom of Jesus that you've been born into as believers, it says in John chapter 15, Jesus says, remain in me. And I'll also remain in you. No, man, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Meaning, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. If the branch remains in the vine, the vine will produce fruit through the branch. The branch can do nothing on its own. So we are born into a new kingdom of dependency that we can't do it on our own. Okay, so joy, when it grabs fear, the first thing it does is it gives me the freedom to cry out to my community. Build community. If you don't have community, join a small group. Trust me, it's going to be hard. Um, it's going to be difficult. But you'll find a community of people that, that you can cry out to. The second thing that joy does is it leads me to actually be thankful. Listen to verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live. I love that line right there. Since we are standing firm in the Lord, since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? When joy kisses fear, it not only allows me to cry out, but it also allows me to start seeing things in my life that I'm incredibly thankful for. Let me explain. So during pandemic, one of our strategies here at Midtown is to plant churches, and there's no better time to plant a church than during a pandemic. So we've planted a church over on the west side of Nashville. It's called Midtown West because we're creative when it comes to naming our churches. And uh, that team of people, they have uh, come together. There's like 100, 140 people in this group that have not been able to meet together during pandemic because that's how we do it. We're smart. <laughs> but they have been looking for a place to worship over there, and they have, they have gotten so close like to so many properties, like literally almost walking in to sign the lease, and it, for some reason it just falls apart. It just, every time, it's like just dominoes. It's like you just come to expect it to fall apart. And you go, what's going on? But when joy kisses fear, it gives us thankfulness. Because let me tell you what's going on. Not having a place and not knowing where they were going to go, instead of being fear by itself, joy has kissed that fear, and that community now is coming together in prayer. It's uniting that community on their mission of what God has called them to do. 
it's this beautiful thing to where the whole, it's like it's the clarion call to this group of new people that represent you over on the west side of town that's missionaries over on that side of town. And let me ask you this simple question. Do you think that maybe God cares more about uniting that community of believers on mission to bring the gospel to that side of town than, they ca- than God cares about them having a place to worship right now? Okay, some of you said yes. The rest of you don't think that's true? I mean, think about it for a minute. Like, so can we go, thank God they don't have a place to worship. So, yes? Okay, so is it possible that when fear now is kissed with joy, it actually gives me eyes to see my world differently? And the very thing that the enemy meant for evil, God is actually meaning for good. That very thing that you can't stand anymore, that you wrote down at the top of your list, is it possible that you've been set up by the divine? And this divine is working in your life to teach you that fear is a gift from the Lord. And joy comes and takes this little child of fear and brings it into the house and says, I want to hear you. I want to listen to you. I want to honor what you're saying to me. But then you need to come under my wing like a child. And and we're going to work on this together. We're going to cry out to our community, and we're going to build community that cries out with me. And then we're also going to change our eyes to where we're thankful. And then finally, well, let me change. Can I say one more thing about thankfulness? So I'm in a small group, and our small group hasn't been able to meet together because uh, of COVID. (laughs) We should spit every time we say that. Uh, but the men have been meeting together and the women have been meeting together. And so about three weeks ago, all the guys got together at Hi-Fi Clyde's. Is that what it's called? Hi-Fi, Cli- Hi- Hi-Fi Clyde's uh, to eat hot chicken and just hang. And so I parked, and I had to park like three blocks away, and it was pouring down raining, and uh, it was dark. And so I'm running through the rain to get to Hi-Fi and I get to the door, and it's got the sign on the door that says, you know, mask required. And I realize that I'm actually in my wife's car, and none of, I don't have any of my mask. So I go back to the car, and I scrum, you know, I, I dig through her car, and I find one of her masks. I don't need to say more, but I put it on, and now I'm angry. And now I'm going back the three blocks in the rain and walk in. And here's what I do when I reach for the door. Here's what happens inside of me. I don't want to be here. And let me ask you this. Have you ever had that experience with small group? Have you ever gotten in your car to go to small group and go, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I'd rather be home. I've got some Cabernet. I've got, you know, some cheese Whiz. I've got some stuff waiting for me to give me comfort back at the house, you know, And here's what happened. I walked in, and I'm just, you know, just not doing well with taking care of my soul. And I walk in, and all the guys are sitting at the table, and they spot me, and I spot them. And the roar, get over here. Not alone. Immediately, I was glad I was there. See, because when joy kisses fear, it actually helps me see my situation differently because I'm not alone. And then when joy kisses fear, it allows me to pray. Because I'm not just crying out to my friends and my community. I'm also crying out to God. Verse 10, night and day we pray. We pray most earnestly that, you may, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. 
Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And listen to this last verse. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If you don't have a prayer life, I'm going to suggest it's because you're afraid to face your fear. Because many of us have become experts. When I was growing up, we would go to the pool and we would take these big beach balls and see who could hold them underwater the longest. And some of you are masters at holding the beach ball of fear under the water of your life. You're terrified to let it splash up. But yet when you let it splash up and you let joy marry that, that fear, it actually is going to allow you to cross other people. And it's actually going to allow you to see the things in your life that you're truly thankful for. And it's actually going to give you a life of prayer. Because if you don't understand that life is too hard for you by yourself, then maybe you're not experiencing the fear that you should be experiencing because life is hard. If you're single, it's hard. I spend time with a lot of you. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it alone. That's hard, and that's scary. If you're married, I spend time with a lot of you. It's hard to love another person. And it's really hard to ask another person to love you. Because trust me, there are things about you that make it almost impossible for anybody to love you. Do you know that? And if you don't know that, that's the thing that makes it impossible for other people to love you. <laughs> you have no self-awareness at all. If you're a parent, I'm telling you, in this world today, it's too much. If you're not experiencing fear as a parent, then you're not aware of what you've been called to. But fear that kisses itself with joy actually doesn't disdain fear, but it lets fear come to the surface and go, that's so human. That's so human because I love things. And if I'm going to love things, I'm going to experience fear because I'm not enough to protect it. I need community. I need Jesus. And I need my Father. So when he says, may he strengthen you in your heart so that you will be blameless and holy, that sounds almost like he's saying, I pray that you be, you'll have so much strength in your life that you're going to go and live a holy life. Go do better. Go be better. So I, ha I have to do a real geeky thing here, and that is that I've got to go back to the original language because if we were to interpret this literally from Greek, that's not what it's saying at all. What it's really saying is that I pray that you would be established in your heart's blamelessness. Very different, isn't it? What Paul is praying is that you would know that Jesus has set you free. And that you would know that the great exchange has happened in your life. That I've given him my sin and he has given me his righteousness. And now I stand righteous in the sight of my father. I am holy and blameless in the sight of my father. I am the Hulk. And he says, live out of that place. You know, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What Paul is saying is what you believe about yourself is what you're going to live your life to. Every time. How you live your life is always a reflection about what you believe about you. And Paul is saying supernaturally when joy kisses fear, it changes not only the way we see circumstances, but the way we see ourselves. And he's praying that they would know. Know what? 
Jesus is coming back. That's at the end of that passage. That the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So, <laughs> if we had another 20 minutes, I'd take you to Second Peter chapter 1, and I'd talk to you about why it's so important for us to be people of the promise and how do we live out of promise. Let me just give you an illustration because we are to be people to live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return. He could return today. He could return in a year. But we are people of a kingdom that's coming back for us. We're a people of a kingdom that has a different understanding of life. We're not motivated by the things we're discontent about. We're motivated by the things that we have joy with, even fear, even something that we're trying to eradicate like fear. So I've married some of you. Um, and uh, actually, I've married a lot of you, and um, I do a lot of weddings, and it's kind of fun because whenever a couple comes in um, for our first pre-marriage counseling, you know, they're giddy and they're excited. They're, and what are they excited about? They're excited about their imagination, about their life together, and what they're going to build together. And what's funny is, is if their wedding is like three months out, I can almost tell you for certain what the next three months are going to look like. They're going to be exhausting because they've got to pick out all kinds of stuff from flowers to, you know, to food, to dresses, to venues, to music, like stuff they never even thought about now or some of them have thought about it a great deal that makes it even worse. But they get so consumed. In fact, if we were able to be like a hovercraft and like go over their lives and we didn't even know them, it wouldn't take us long to know, oh, they're getting ready for a wedding. It wouldn't take long. It didn't even take a lot of intelligence. You just see it. Even the way they fight. The way they fight is in preparation for the vows they're about to take. Isn't that great? <laughs> and then they fight afterwards because of the vows they took. Uh, but if we were a hovercraft, we would see their lives are so oriented toward the promise that you can't miss it. And what I'm trying to encourage you and what I think Paul is trying to encourage us to say, hey, would you let joy kiss, kiss your fear? Would you let it come in and do its purpose, which is makes us cry out to our community? I can't do it alone. It makes us to be thankful because now we see our lives differently. And it also allows us to cry out to God and foster this prayer life. And then when we do that, guess what? Our lives become like couples about to get married. We, we live for the coming of our Lord. The great wedding feast is coming. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way we understand sex. It changes the way we understand our work. It changes the way our relationships. It changes the way we even treat the guy that's asking for cash at the stoplight. It changes everything. Because now we are brides awaiting our groom. Okay. That's First Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me pray for us. Father, um, thank you for um, Paul, who would be so honest to say, I can't stand it anymore. And that's true about many of us in different areas of our lives. And Lord, I'd, that, that place that often happens where we just can't go any further produces a lot of fear because we realize we're not enough. I pray for my friends here for... Midtown, especially for all the ones that are part of our community that are not here today and not watching and may not have heard a sermon or been in community for months and months. We pray for them, Lord. We plead with you. 
uh, that you would care for them and not let the, the evil one tempt them away. But let us, Lord, let joy now kiss our fear. That supernatural rest that you are king of kings, you're on your throne, and that you're with us, now kiss our fear. And let that fear do its job and let us cry out to our community, see our life differently with thankfulness and actually begin to foster a life of crying out to you that we would live like the brides that we are. Awaken the Hulk, 